Welcome to Zero Downtime, the new podcast brought to you by DCD's editorial team in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical infrastructure provider. Hello, everyone. Hope anyone's celebrating had a pleasant jubilee. Happy birthday, Lizzie. Thank you for tuning in to episode nine of DCD Zero Downtime. I am Claire Fletcher, partner content editor at DCD. And in this episode, DCD's global editor and all-round legend, Peter Judge, is chatting all things hydrogen with Mark Monroe, principal engineer at Microsoft. Could hydrogen be the solution we need to steer our industry away from fossil fuels and help catalyze the hydrogen economy? Listen on to find out. But first, a word from our sponsors at Vertiv. Vertiv has kept the world's leading businesses connected for more than 50 years. We build, deliver, and support critical infrastructure that's available, sustainable, and future-ready. Visit us at vertiv.com and see what we can do for you. So, hello, I'm talking to Mark Munro, who's a principal engineer uh, at Microsoft's Advanced Development Group in Cloud Operations. And we're going to be talking about hydrogen in the data center and the way that changes the data center's role in uh, surrounding economy. So, Mark, let's talk about, let's start by talking about hydrogen because there's more than one kind of hydrogen, apparently. Yes. Yeah, there's a whole rainbow of hydrogen types, and, and it has to do, the colors that we describe uh, have to do with the carbon content uh, of, the, uh, of the hydrogen. Okay, for the chemists in the audience, all of these types are simple, uh, they're H2 molecules, they're, they're chemically identical. That's right, in the <laughs> it's, end. It's where they come from. That's right. And so, and so the vast majority of hydrogen in the world today upwards of 95% of it uh, is produced using hydrocarbons. Uh, methane gas goes through a process called methane, steam methane reformation, or SMR. You might see the letters SMR. And by combining methane, which is CH4, with water molecules, H2O, you end up forming four molecules of hydrogen and a, a molecule of carbon dioxide. Right. So if you're looking at uh, hydrogen as an energy source that's going to allow you to reduce your emissions, um, that's kind of a bit of a cheat because it, 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 all that hydrogen has essentially been taken out of natural gas right. uh, to start with. So it um, has been released into the atmosphere as, as part of the process. So what, in the calculations that we've done, what we've found is that that type of hydrogen, by the way, when you make uh, hydrogen from methane like that using steam methane reformation <clears throat> that's called either brown or gray hydrogen right thank you i wanted the color there it is so brown you'll hear it called both brown and gray um, and it means it has it comes from a, a, a hydrocarbon base and released co2 as part of the, the manufacturing process now what when you when you use brown or gray hydrogen to produce energy again, whether you burn the hydrogen or whether you use it in a fuel cell to make electricity directly, um, it ends up having the, uh, in a fuel cell specifically, it ends up having about the same carbon footprint as a high efficiency combined cycle natural gas electric plant. So on the order of, uh, let's see, what would it be in metric? It would be about, uh, I think, 300 grams of CO2 per 
kilowatt hour of electricity that's produced on that order of magnitude. So better than pure methane, uh, but not as good as, as uh, carbon, you know, zero carbon content that you could get out of uh, different colors of hydrogen. So, so the next color of hydrogen that we had talked about, brown or gray is directly from that SMR process. Some companies are capturing the CO2 that comes off of that process and doing carbon capture and sequestration out of it. So CCS. And, and if they sequester the carbon permanently underground or turn it into rocks or, or concrete or something like that, then that kind of hydrogen is called blue hydrogen. So blue hydrogen is brown or gray hydrogen that has had captured uh, carbon and sequestered. And so now it's better, um, but it takes the extra expense of a carbon capture and sequestration operation. Right. Okay. And for the, just for information, I mean, this uh, carbon capture and sequestration that works well enough to actually think of uh, blue hydrogen as, as being worth a go. A lot of the, the oil and gas energy companies are, are viewing blue hydrogen as a way that they can continue to contribute to the energy environment, um, but not have the same carbon footprint that they, that they did before and to participate in the upcoming hydrogen economy. So, so they could, they could make tens of millions of tons of, uh, of blue hydrogen and, and have no carbon impact, which would be a good thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. They, 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 they're very, very keen to have a, a low carbon outlet for what they're doing. Yeah. And it's, okay. it's their foot in the door. It's, I think that's their foot in the door to that hydrogen economy is their way of participating. So that's, that's a good thing. Right. But the next kind of color of hydrogen would be pure, would be green. And so the, so green hydrogen in general is, is car, hydrogen that's produced without uh, producing any uh, net CO2. Um, there are some people that, that say you could uh, produce it from a renewable methane. So if you, if you captured CO2, um, did the chemical processing, a renewable gas, right? uh, yeah, a biogas or renewable gas, um, and then put that into the, the uh, steam methane formation, that would be, that would be green hydrogen because it would have zero carbon footprint. But what most people mean when they say green part hydrogen, including us at Microsoft, um, we mean water that has been electrolyzed using renewable electricity. And so it's important to, it's important to say the renewable electricity part, because again, if you use electricity from a grid, it has a certain carbon intensity, you know, you would be in essence producing that amount of scope to uh, CO2 by making your hydrogen out of uh, electrolysis. But if you use pure renewable energy, which it, it turns out that electrolyzers are great ways of absorbing uh, the, the peaks and valleys of renewable energy because they react very quickly uh, and they can be placed on the, on the, um, inside the meter uh, before a, a, a renewable energy plant like a solar plant or a uh, a wind plant, uh, you know, even puts the power out on the grid um, so they can take the, the ups and downs and turn it into hydrogen uh, using a, a, using the electrolysis process where that you just apply electricity to water and it splits into hydrogen and oxygen. So, mm -hmm. so green hydrogen is like, it, it's, it's in a way, it's not an energy source so much as an energy storage medium. Exactly. It's, it's a way of storing surplus uh, green 
uh, electricity with hydrogen plants that could be sited right next to the um, solar farm. Yep. 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 And, then, I, and then you need to transport hydrogen away to where it would be used, uh, but it's it, which might have a carbon footprint if you put it in a truck, for example, or if a pipeline was available, then that would have a lower carbon footprint. And and, uh, and, be, and that's where people are headed. People are headed toward these giant inst installations of solar and wind, and, and they're putting in electrolyzers in parallel with them uh, in order to be able to absorb those peaks and valleys of, of production time. Uh, and uh, rather than what would normally happen would be that uh, without the hydrogen electrolyzer is that today wind farm would curtail the production of energy, right? They'd feather, they'd feather the blades of the wind turbines so that they wouldn't uh, produce power that couldn't be used. Mm -hmm. so, okay. Yeah. And, and how, much, uh, how much is that actually happening in the real world today? Or how much is it just an idea that might happen? So the hydrogen council... Uh, tracks uh, announcements and uh, progression of green hydrogen projects around the world. Um, and uh, the numbers are, are escalating exponentially. Um, it, if you track this stuff, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, if you go to the Hydrogen Council and look for some of their reports, um, they do, they talk about, you know, new gigawatt scale projects are being announced nearly every week, it seems like. And, and all over the world, in Spain, in uh, anywhere that there's solar uh, uh, activity, there's, uh, there's hydrogen activity as well. Australia has tremendous installations going in, gig, tens of gigawatts of capacity of solar, and they're patterning or pairing it right with uh, electrolyzers to produce hydrogen, green hydrogen on site. Uh, and, and, and Northern Africa, in Southern Europe, in the United States, uh, in, in Asia uh, Pacific uh, areas, all those areas are, are coming up with these tens of gigawatts of capacity. Um, in the U.S., the Department of Energy has a program going called EarthShot. Uh, it's patterned after the SunShot program they did in the in the 2000s to 2000 uh, or 2010 to 2020 timeframe. In the SunShot program, they were trying to reduce. Um, solar installations from at which at the time were two and a half or three dollars a watt down to a dollar a watt. The Earthshot program is very similar in the U.S. They're trying to to take green hydrogen down from uh, it's probably somewhere between six and eighteen dollars per kilogram U.S. dollars per kilogram, and they're trying to get it down to one U.S. dollar per kilogram before 2030. I, I have to be honest. I was in the solar industry in during that Sunshot time frame. Uh, and I and I was skeptical of them making their ten year goal, but they achieved it in six years. And I and I see the same dynamics in the hydrogen industry that are, that happened in the solar industry. There's tremendous announcements of interest, the beginnings of scale up, the you know the completions of uh, you know okay, I've announced a gigawatt of capacity, but I've installed ten megawatts of capacity. But now I'm installing ten megawatts of capacity one every month. And, uh, you know, I'm building towards that, that gigawatt capacity that's going. It's, it really is happening quite fast, I think, uh, because, because hydrogen, hydrogen is the only alternative to uh, a fuel-based energy economy where, you know, if we have transportation or we have heating needs or uh, things like that, those typically require us to either do combustion or have some portable fuel that we can, you know, refuel quickly. Uh, which batteries don't don't meet that well, and uh, and that's frankly what the what the data center industry 
has been looking at it for is that we have you know long duration uh, power generation requirements. If we if the grid is out for 24 hours or 48 hours, um, batteries to cover that would be uh, prohibitively expensive, um, both from uh, both from a cost standpoint and a and a footprint standpoint. They'd be so large. Um, that, that we wouldn't be able to afford the land. Uh, it would change the economics of the data centers. So, so we've gone <clears throat> starting looking at hydrogen as a way to replace our, our fuel energy needs um, for long duration things. Because, you know, in a, in a battery system, if I need to double the duration of the, of the, the battery system, I double the size of the battery system and I, I buy as many batteries. If I need to double the size of a hydrogen energy system, I buy a bigger tank, but I have the same uh, head end infrastructure of the fuel cells to, to provide the power. And, and that's a much smaller investment than, than uh, you know, the, the doubling the size of the battery field. Yeah, it's a level of convenience that, that people who have diesel generators will understand straight away. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so so how I mean, taking hydrogen from um, sixteen dollars down to one dollar that, mm-hmm. that that gives me or anybody I should think a feel for how quickly we can see it starting to take off. I mean, if yep. price goes down that much, it normally means things take off a lot. Um, how are how is hydrogen best used? Should we be burning it or uh, or running it through um, fuel cells or what? Yeah, it, it's interesting that. Um that it's applicable to both of those things. And, and so a, a very short-term, relatively easy conversion um, would be to refuel internal combustion engines that run today on diesel or gasoline uh, and, and, and change over the, the fueling systems, the injection systems and the ignition systems and so on, and, and have them run uh, hydrogen as the fuel. Um, there have been several companies that have done that. Uh, and they've developed internal combustion engines that now run on hydrogen. Um, the, to, for those of you that may not be familiar with uh, the energy content, we talk in terms of kilograms of hydrogen and versus gallons of diesel. And, and a one kilogram of hydrogen has about the same energy content as a gallon of gasoline. Okay, so three and a half liters of, of petrol. Um, and, uh, and, and so if you... Think about it that way. Now, now I could uh, I could have an internal combustion engine that could run, uh, you know, on hydrogen. The the one difficulty with any combustion process, and especially any compressed combustion process that uses air uh, as the oxygen source, is that we end up with no- oxides of nitrogen uh, in the, in that combustion process. So so we get rid of almost all the pollutants when we burn hydrogen, except for the nitrous oxides. Um, and in some places, that's very important, right? They're regulated quite strictly, um, and so, and, and the and the oxides of nitrogen are a function of the temperature of combustion and the pressures and things like that. So there's almost nothing you can do. Yeah, except except feed your um, except feed your combustion engine with um, pure, pure oxygen, which I'm sure has has other safety issues attached to it. Right, right, and, 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 and affordability issues. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. so combustion. There, they're both um, internal combustion engines, and there are uh, gas turbines that are that are being developed uh, that that run on hydrogen. Um, turbines have a little bit lower nitrous oxides uh, than, than the, the uh, compression engines do, but um, still, still there. So, also, if you think about the efficiency uh, of an internal combustion engine, 
<clears throat> it's got a thermal efficiency of about uh, 35%, right? 35% of the energy and fuel turns into the eventual output that you want for electricity. Turbines are a bit higher. Um, they get up into the 50%, uh, 45, 50% efficiency range. But we think that fuel cells are the interesting technology because um, fuel cells convert uh, about 50 to 55% of the energy in the fuel uh, into electricity, directly into electricity. The output of the fuel cell is only water. Uh, you know, you use atmospheric air to, to supply the oxygen, you supply it with a pure hydrogen stream, uh, and you get essentially deionized or distilled water as the output of the, uh, of the process. So no pollution at all. Uh, it's relatively low temperature in a, in a um, uh, polymer, uh, uh, sorry, uh, a PEM fuel cell. Uh, proton exchange, proton exchange membrane, and it, th those operate in the 50 to 60 degrees C temperature range. Uh, so you have a little bit of the potential for some waste heat use, usage um, and, uh, and no pollution. Now, there are there is another kind of fuel cells that, that um, have been around for a long time as well uh, called solid oxide fuel cells. You'll hear people say SOFC. Uh, SOFC fuel cells... Um, generally run on natural gas as a fuel, and they do the steam methane reformation process inside the fuel cell as part of its reaction. So they, they create their own hydrogen from natural gas. They, they release the CO2, so it doesn't, it's, you know, it's not a, not a, a carbon-free uh, process, but they, because, of, <clears throat> because they do that steam methane reformation process, they run at temperatures um, about 600 C, so the, the temperature of a good hot charcoal fire that you might, you know, cook food over. And, and so um, they're meant, they, they, they take much longer to ramp up and ramp down because you have to heat them up to that temperature. You have to maintain that temperature. They're meant for um, long-term power generation, maybe even as primary power for uh, uh, data centers or other places. But the PEM fuel cells, these are the ones that are used in automotive applications. They start quickly, they react quickly, you know, very similar to an internal combustion engine uh, reaction times. And when you combine them with a, a little battery system, a small battery system to absorb the, the uh, very sudden shocks that you might get in an electrical system, um, they work very well as a, as a kind of a hybrid energy system uh, with a fuel cell and a battery together. And that's what that's what we see in most of the, you know, Daimler, General Motors, Hyundai, Honda, Toyota, uh, all the automotive manufacturers always combine their fuel cells with a small battery. And, and that's the, the energy source for the vehicles that they're producing. Right. So for data center people, the, um, the fuel cells they're most familiar with that they've probably heard most um, sort of marketing about at the moment would be the solid oxide ones with it. Right. Companies like Bloom Energy. Um, uh, the, the, uh, I'm losing my, my company's, du uh, Busan, Busan in, in, in Korea. Yep. So solid power in Italy. Uh, those are, uh, those are solid oxide fuels. Uh, and they've, and they've been deployed for, you know, in, in data centers, even for, for 10 years now uh, in some applications, uh, Dean Nelson, uh, built a, a fuel cell powered, uh, data center in, uh, the United States in the Western part of the States using bloom energy cells as the primary source of power. Yeah, for eBay, right? In in like 2012, I think that was. Yeah, 
Yeah, so yeah, as you say, like ten, we've had ten years of fuel cells in data centres, but potentially confusing because these are different kind of things to what we're talking about for building the whole hydrogen economy. Yep. So um, let's talk about you know what you've actually done with this at Microsoft. So we've we've been uh, scaling this up. We saw a demonstration about three years ago at uh, the U.S. National Renewable Energy Lab here in Colorado. Uh, where they they had a Daimler fuel cell, uh, a rack of uh, HPE computers, uh, and uh, what was essentially an uninterruptible power supply cabinet uh, with a little bit of batteries in it. The UPS cabinet had some controls in it that managed uh, charging and discharging of the batteries, uh, and it would call on the fuel cell. So we, we did a demonstration. We cut power to the system. The UPS detected the grid loss, signaled the the uh, fuel cell to start. The start the fuel cell started and was fully operational within about twenty seconds, uh, and then the UPS just managed the load and it could keep running that way as long as there was fuel in the in the tank for the uh, the fuel cell. Um, if you if you need to run for forty eight hours, you get a forty eight hour tank, uh, and so we were very intrigued by that that demonstration. Uh, and we we started to scale up. You know that was one rack of compute. So we did a demonstration in 2020 uh, that we published information about in uh, July of 2020, where we scaled up to a 250 kilowatt system that we think of as maybe a row of computers inside of a data center. So we went from a single rack to a row of 15 or 20 computers, uh, 20 or 15 or 20 racks. Uh, and uh, and was very successful. We were able to um, run that system through all of the testing that we use on our big diesel generators. You know, take 100% load, uh, drop 100% load, take 25%, 50%, 75%, all the up and downs that we do for the transients. The system performed stellar uh, in, in ways. And then we eventually ran 24-hour and 48-hour duration tests to make sure that, that we could uh, you know, functionally with that smaller system, take over the the capability of uh, the diesel generators, which are sometimes are spec to run for, you know, 12, 24, 48 hours. Uh, and, and frankly, we had some fun because the, uh, the Daimler engineers we were working with at the time said, we've never run one of our fuel cells for more than six hours. Our, our use paradigm <laughs> is we put it in a car, the car has a limited fuel tank, we drive it, you stop. You fill the tank, and then you can start again. <laughs> we're like, no, we're not doing that. We're going to just go for fully. <laughs> and and they they were very pleased. They and so were we that you know we could we could do that. So we gained a lot of confidence there. And then we announced during that time that we've been working on uh, scaling up. The next step would be to take it up to data center scale, which is you know megawatt or multi megawatt scale. Uh, and we're we're getting very close. In fact, I was out uh, witnessing some of the the testing that's going on. Uh, this past week, and and we're getting very close to making some announcements on that. So keep your eyes open for for data center scale, backup power systems powered by hydrogen. Uh, we're we're continuing down our program that way, and, and that'll be the next you know the next step will be now we've got systems that are large enough. We've proven that they can work in the application. Now we start to build them into the into the systems uh, that where we uh, need the backup power generation for the, to be carbon free. Uh, very low noise uh, capabilities. The fuel cell systems are much quieter than combustion engines. 
Um, and so, so I think it can solve a, a lot of uh, a lot of issues for data centers that that we have uh, in terms of community relations. Yeah, I was thinking of just the um, you know comparing the performance with the diesel engine is one thing, but there are other things as well. The fact that diesel engines are large, noisy things that sit outside the building. This yeah. can sit inside the building. It could be inside, <clears throat> um, but it can also be outside. And, and because of size constraints, you know, they'll be, be comparable in size to, to diesel generators of comparable power. Um, the, the, the footprint on the, on the fuel storage is larger um, than the diesel fuel storage. Because uh, hydrogen's a gas and diesel's a liquid. It is. It, it is. And, and it, but at the scale that we're using things, um, we would we would probably use liquid hydrogen, which is now now you're bringing in another discipline into the data center, which is cryogenic fuel, fluid handling, because um, liquid, liquid hydrogen is 20 degrees Kelvin, 20 degrees above absolute zero minus 250 C. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's very cold and, and it takes some different skills than, than we've had in the data center in the past. You know, you do, a diesel technology, a diesel technician is, uh, you know, much more common, I think, than a cryo engineer that you might need to, to handle the, uh, the, the liquid hydrogen. But, but there are people that are doing it. Um, the, the material handling industry has been using fuel cells as replacement for large batteries in uh, lift trucks, material, you know, what we might call forklifts. Um, and uh, that industry has, has got tens of thousands of fuel cells deployed and successful fueling systems and liquid storage tanks. And, you know, we look at it and go, okay, there's people that know how to do this. Yeah, they exist out there. And, uh, and so uh, we believe that we can leverage a lot of that experience and, and convert it over if we need it to, uh, to the backup power for the data centers. Mm, yeah, I mean, so many other little questions about that, like, you know, there's got to be an energy cost in the cryogenics there's got, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I assume it all works out. But I mean, yes. um, on balance, I guess it's still a lot more expensive to do it this way compared with a, a diesel. It is. It is more expensive today. Um, one of the things that we track along with the, you know, can the technology do this, uh, you know, as is part of our advanced development efforts is can the economics work uh, on this? And and frankly, when we started uh, four years ago, we were nowhere near. Um, and uh, and I remember having a conversation about uh, about six months ago with some of our internal production engineers, the folks that are you know designing the actual data centers versus the advanced development, where we're off thinking five years in the future. Uh, and and one of the engineers you know exclaimed. What these diesel generators are? I mean, these hydrogen generators are more than twice as expensive as the diesels. And I went, no, they're only twice as expensive as the <laughs> because, yeah, because a year ago they were four times as expensive, and two years ago they were eight times as expensive. So look at the progress we're making. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, and 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 you can offset against that extra price a, a, a lot of things, can't you? Not just yeah. the fact that it has zero emissions, which is a, a you know, at the moment, a huge value. So there's, uh, so there's, there's two things that we think about that it, in terms of the value of the the hydrogen, in addition to the to the, the power generation as just a backup function. Um, one of them is that uh, that we could use this as uh, a, a, an active asset. Uh, this does not have to be an idle asset. In in most cases, the diesel generators have a limit on their permit, their air quality permits, and can only run a few, you know, a, a few hours a year, literally tens of hours 
or hundreds of hours per year. Uh, and then we'd be uh, limited to, to not running them. Um, so you can't use the, the diesel generators for things like uh, interaction, firming up renewable energy, uh, where, again, we talked about the peaks and valleys of renewable energy and how it needs smoothing out and people use gas peakers for it today. Um, we could use the hydrogen uh, generators for uh, for some of that load leveling uh, that is required on the grid and the interaction for for capacity, peak capacity generation and things like that. And it would be completely carbon free energy. So that would be one way of doing it. The other is, if you think about the energy needs, when we when we've done the calculations on the energy needs for, uh, let's say, 48 hours of backup for a 10 megawatt data center. Um, you end up with one of those giant spherical tanks of liquid hydrogen. And because liquid hydrogen is so cold, it, it's constantly boiling off uh, into the, not into the atmosphere, into the tank. It's captured, usually and compressed, and then you have to do something with it. You can't just, you don't want to vent it to the atmosphere because it's expensive. Um, but that could lead to things where we have more interaction with the community. You know, we, we've talked about um, using the boil off uh, that comes off of a storage tank and, and building a, a vehicle fueling station. And so now an area that doesn't have any hydrogen economy, no, no, it's, it, you know, the chicken and the egg process, right, that, we, that everyone talks about. You got to have a fueling infrastructure in order to have hydrogen cars. Well, you need hydrogen cars and trucks in order to have a fueling infrastructure. Uh, at Microsoft, we like to say we're just choosing to be chickens. You know, we're going to. We have that ability. We're going to put hydrogen into our, our data centers to run a backup. And oh, by the way, here's a fueling station. So now that now you can have vehicles that could be fueled coming off of that. Um, you could you could enable a hydrogen bus fleet for a local municipality um, that would that would now take carbon out of their carbon footprint. Um, you could use the boil off, uh, mixing it into a natural gas pipeline and decarbonizing the the overall fuel. Uh, into a 20% hydrogen mix, something like that. There's lots of different ways we can interact. And if we, and if we add an electrolyzer on site, now that we can take surplus electricity from renewable energy and convert it into our own hydrogen, in addition to the oil off. So now we've, now we've got two ways of participating. We can decrease our load by making electricity out of our hydrogen, or we could take extra load and make hydrogen out of electricity at the, and have this nice little cycle going. And the economics of that are, are very attractive uh, in terms of grid interaction. So the second thing that we really look at hydrogen for is in applications where we are pro prohibited from building diesel generators. If you start to look at areas like Dublin, uh, Amsterdam, uh, the California Bay Area, uh, the air quality permits there are so hard to get uh, that and, and the demand is so high for cloud services that we we have demand that we can't meet in conventional ways. Uh, in California, the California Energy Commission uh, has warned data center operators to be prepared for outages as long as 96 hours because of wildfires in California. <laughs> and at the same time, another part of the California government is telling them, oh, and by the way, you can't cover those with diesels because exactly. you're not allowed to build them. So where to turn. <laughs> and so now we just say, okay, it was a 48-hour tank. Now it's a 96-hour tank, right? And, and, and hydrogen enables us to put capacity, digital capacity, where we were restricted before. So it's, so it's, you know, for us, it's those two things, the contribution to the community, the participation in that hydrogen economy, and the fact that it enables that capacity 
that is so valuable to the company and to the and to the surrounding areas um, to in terms of the performance and the the uh, functionality that they can get out of a, a, a digital infrastructure system that's close to them um, and can meet those air quality re- restrictions those those terrible air quality restrictions mm, mm. terrible I shouldn't say terrible but strict uh, you know. yes yeah, yeah. Um, this is great I mean so you know, in in global terms, the amount of hydrogen that the data center industry needs is tiny compared with the amount of hydrogen the whole hydrogen economy needs. Very but, true. Yeah. But it, it, but the industry is ideally placed to be the sort of first mover and get things started. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been to meetings with uh, you know around hydrogen councils and hydrogen uh, enthusiasts. Uh, I'll call them uh, first movers. And, and the meetings usually consist of uh, automotive companies that are very interested in, in producing hydrogen vehicles, um, power utilities that are interested in using hydrogen to clean up their carbon footprints, uh, uh, energy, oil and gas companies that are you know, producers of gray and brown hydrogen today looking to produce blue and, and even of using some hydrogen in their own processes. Uh, and they have a totally different time reference than the internet industry does, you know, and I'll sit in these meetings and they'll talk about, yes, we can do this by 2050 and that by 2050, you know, and, and we joke and we say, uh, you know, fellas, look, uh, internet years are like dog years. There's seven for every regular one. And so 2050 is a century and a, 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 an internet century and a half away. Uh, and we just don't <laughs> make plans that long. So <laughs> yeah. So we need, you know, we need 2025 solutions, 2028 solutions, 2030 solutions. And, and so it's, it, it's interesting to see. I think that, but, the, but you're right, the use of hydrogen will be, data centers will be a small sliver of overall use. Transportation will be much higher. Um, decarbonization of heating sources will be much, much higher. Uh, and, and, but we, can, we think we can serve as a catalyst in getting in two places quickly. And so, you know, if we create a demand of, uh, you know, 100,000 kilograms of hydrogen, even if we're just going to store it and wait for an outage, which we aren't going to do, we're going to interact like we talked about. We're going to do grid interaction. We're going to do vehicle fueling. We're going to enable communities to, to build a hydrogen economy around that. Um, then uh, those are the kinds of things that I think where data centers can have a, a role in, in quickly building demand and and enabling other uh, parts of that hydrogen economy to to flourish mm-hmm. brilliant well mark thank you for that um speedy tour around uh hydrogen data centers and how we're going to catalyze a hydrogen economy um i'll i'll, I'll wrap up the recording here and uh, thanks for joining us you bet my pleasure you for that Peter and thank you to Mark for taking the time out to have such an insightful chat with us. I for one had no idea that the topic of hydrogen was quite literally so colourful and it sounds like we are making some really promising headway in this area. As always thank you for listening and thank you to Verta for sponsoring the series. We of course want to be putting out the content that you guys want to hear so if you've got any thoughts, feedback or anything in particular you'd like us to discuss you can drop us an email via zero downtime at datasetdynamics.com. Ciao for now. Sustainability is no longer a nice-to-have, it's a priority. Vertiv Power cooling and IT management solutions for critical infrastructure are designed to reduce the use of energy, water, and space 
From innovative liquid cooling to dynamic grid services, we work hand-in-hand -hand with customers to enable them to meet their data center sustainability goals. Visit us at Vertiv.com and see what we can do for you. Thanks for listening to the Zero Downtime Podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical digital infrastructure provider. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to our channel. We'll see you again next time.